it was um, the reason why this was written. This song was written, and I'm going to read it to you. Just describes what this um, man went down. Horatio Spafford went through prior to writing it as well with my soul. When the Great Chicago Fire, and think about all these, when you hear all the different litany of things that happened to him, when the Great Chicago Fire consumed the Windy City in 1871, Horatio Spafford, an attorney heavily invested in real estate, lost a fortune. About the time his only son, Force, succumbed to scarlet fever. He drowned his grief in work, pouring himself into rebuilding the city and assisting hundreds of thousands that had been left homeless. In November of 1873, he decided to take his wife and, da- and daughters to Europe. Horatio was close to Dwight Moody and Ira Sankey, and he wanted to visit their evangelistic meetings in England and enjoy a vacation. When an urgent matter detained Horatio in New York, he decided to send his wife Anna and their four daughters, Maggie, Tanetta, Anna, and Bessie, on ahead. As he saw them settled into a cabin aboard the luxurious French liner Villa de Havre, An unease filled his mind, and he moved them to a room closer to the bow of the ship. Then he said goodbye, promising to join him soon. During the small hours of November the 22nd, 1873, as the Ville de Havre, whatever, glided over smooth seas, the passengers were jolted from their bunks. The ship had collided with an iron sailing vessel, and the water poured in like the Niagara. The Ville de Havre tilted dangerously, screams, prayers, oaths emerged from the nightmare of unmeasured terror. Passengers clung to post, tumbled through darkness, and were swept away by powerful currents of icy ocean. Loved ones fell from each other's grasp and disappeared into foaming blackness. Within two hours, the ship had vanished beneath the waters. The 226 fatalities included Maggie, Tanetta, Annie, and Bessie. Mrs. Spafford was nearly unconscious, clinging to her piece of wreckage. When the 47 survivors landed in Wales, she cabled her husband, saved alone. Horatio immediately booked passage to join his wife. En route on a cold December night, the captain called him aside and he says, I believe we're now passing over the place where this went down. Spafford went to his cabin but found it hard to sleep. And so he gets up and he writes, it is well with my soul. Y'all, what matters really in life, what matters really in life is is, is your soul is it well with your soul? It is well for us to be reminded that God has never promised us that we would be carried to heaven on a bed of down. Rather, Scripture promises quite the opposite. Psalm 34 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. A righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers them from them all. Psalm 34, 18 and 19. I have told you these things, Jesus said, so that in me you may have peace. I'm telling you this so you may have peace. So it's possible throughout all of these horrific circumstances to maintain tranquil, perfect peace. But take heart. I have overcome the world, he says. In Acts, they preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples, then returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Second Corinthians said, Paul's writing, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we're suffering in the province of Asia. Don't be fooled about this. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. 
so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt a sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give us thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Who, then, shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? It is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, Paul said, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He who has ears, let him hear of his love for you. For you and 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 even me, shocking as that can be. Lean hard upon me, Frances Roberts says. And she writes as if she's from God's perspective. She's awesome. And she's, uh, I don't know, it's 100 years old. I have no idea where I got it from some lady. Lean hard upon me, for I bring you through to new victories, and restoration shall follow what seems to be a wind of destruction. Have you ever been in a wind of destruction like Job? And then they were, and while they were still speaking, they came in. And while they were still speaking, they came in. And while they were still telling something bad, something bad, something bad, something bad, it's like, stop. This has got to stop. He says, he says, She says, restoration shall follow what seems now to be a wind of destruction. Hold fast to my hand and rest in my love. For of this you may be very certain. My love is unaltered. Yes, I have you in my own intensive care. Where are you when you're, you've got ten, three children? Where are you when the sickest one is the sickest? Right by his side, her side, whatever. Not that you don't love the other ones just as much. When you're in these situations, he says, I am in, you're, you're in my intensive care. My concern for you is deeper than when things are normal, when, whatever that means. Draw upon the resources of my grace, and so shall you be equipped to communicate peace and confidence to your dear ones. Heaven rejoices when you go through trials with a singing spirit. Is all your heart's fa- heart? Excuse me. Your father's heart is cheered when you endure the test and do not question his mercy. The why, the why, the why. Be like a beacon light. His own glorious radiance shall shine through you, and Christ Himself will be revealed. Indeed, He takes us. It says in Psalms, from strength to strength, as we pass through our valley of Bacchus, our valley of tears, and this is the whole way we've talked about it before. A Christian walk is any walk is. You're going up, you know. You're on the mountaintop, then whoop, you start going down, then you're in the valley, and then you start going up. I mean, it's never this way. It never just stays this way, and neither do you. You're either going up towards Him or you're going down. We're not static. Okay. It, I, you already said that about passing the notebook around. To If you haven't signed that, it's not a notebook, but just put your name, address, and husband's name and all that down if you have already signed. If you have, just sign your names. If your email's changed or whatever, 
So I can get it on the prayer request list. Sometime we're going to get this worked out. I don't know. Okay, the prayer notebook. Since um, let's just do it on this because she's um, Jerry Lynn is um, mother had to go to the hospital last night. She's got pneumonia. So anyway, y'all be praying for her. And uh, there's somebody else that was. Is it Tommy Mouse? It's, that, did y'all get the onion? Was it Don? Oh, no. I, I don't know. No, this is her mama. It's Linda it's, Turner. Linda Turner is her mother. Okay. Okay. Um, the beauty, y'all, of teaching a small book of the Bible is that we have the luxury of the time to read the scripture that we're studying before we begin the session. Oh, and if you don't have any homework, such that it is, um, you know, give that. There's, just just read it. it. You just read it every day that week of that um, section of scripture. Um, and then we just are just kind of being prepared for what we're going to be studying. And this week we're doing James 1, 1 through 18. So I'm going to read it first and then um, we can get into it. James, and try to, y'all just close your eyes and just listen. I love, I love just the pure, unadulterated word of God. And so many, you know, so many times we get so distracted by, oh, read this, read this, read this, and you spend, you know, an hour in devotional books, and you, you know, five seconds in the real, the word, which gives life. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Hmm. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. But the one in, in, who is rich should take pride in the low position, in his low position, because he will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be the kind of first fruits of all he created. The letter of James begins with the conventional opening the name of the writer, the people to whom the letter was addressed, and the word of greeting. James appears to be content with this simple introduction. 
If we are correct in attributing the writing to James, the, the epistle of James to James, the brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus, in which he speaks of himself, he becomes humble. It becomes very humble, <clears throat> more striking and humbly enduring. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. The writer has, ju- has thus introduced himself most modestly. He doesn't claim any fame of being Jesus' half-brother or he, at this point, was a, was a high leader in the church. He did not indicate his status in the church or that he was the Lord's brother. God loves the humble in heart. I love that. All of you, he says in 1 Peter 5, 7, 5, 5 through 7, all of you clothe yourself with humility. Clothe yourself with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. When, when he lifts you up, it's, it's a lifting up indeed. Spurgeon says, all of God's resources will be made available to the soul that is humble enough to be able to receive them without growing proud because of it. I can't read that without thinking about Billy Graham. And how many people that he ministered to and how humble he was. He would just always, if anybody come to him with any kind of affirmation, he was just the gospel. I'm, teach, I'm just teaching the gospel. I'm doing what, he just did what, every, what God calls every single one of us to do. Be in the word, pray, and share. Be in the word, pray, and share. It's just about as simple as that. Walk in a manner worthy of his gospel without growing proud because of it. When a man is sincerely humble and never tries to take credit for or the price, there's scarcely any limit to what God will do for him. Most people cannot handle it because of pride. It's an insidious monster. And it even, you can see it in, in the church history how it just it gets in and, just, and it takes people down. One after one after one after one. What do you, the uh, one good verse to memorize is, what do you have that you haven't received? And if you've received it, why do you boast? You have nothing you can claim that you broke, that you had anything to do with. <laughs> God will do for him. Humility makes us ready to be blessed by the God of all grace and equips us to deal efficiently with our fellows. True humility is a flower that will adorn any garden. This is the sauce that will season every dish of life and improve in every case, whether in prayer or praise, whether in work or suffering. The genuine salt of humility cannot be used in excess. Once James had known Christ after the flesh, but now he knows him totally in a different light. He knew him as his brother, but now he knows him totally differently. He now honors him as Lord and Messiah and links his name with, the God, with that of God the Father. Whatever doubts James may have entertained concerning the claims of Christ in the days of his flesh, they're now gone. All doubts have disappeared by the resurrection of the one with whom he has sustained so intimate a relationship in Nazareth. Also, the lack of title suggests that he was well known and had had the authority to send the letter of this kind. So he wasn't just writing it, some, some incognito person writing and saying, be joyful in all your trials. He had behind him some credentials. James describes himself simply as a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. He considered himself a bond slave, doulos. He was the property of God, and by the way, so are we. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. 
Obviously, James recognized the deity of Christ by placing him co-equal with God. Furthermore, James used his full name, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus meaning Savior. Christ is the Greek for Messiah, the anointed, the eternal God, became the Savior, Jesus, and rose again as everlasting, everlasting sovereign Christ, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. This letter is addressed to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. James was writing to the Jews dispersed from their homeland, and that was a hardship for them. They were away from the temple. They were away from what they knew to be everything they knew. The technical term used is scattered, which is diaspora, diaspora, referring to the Jews who were scattered among the Gentiles, even as their ancestors had been in the days of captivity. As a Jew himself, but a Jew who knew the Lord in the fullness of resurrection life, James now speaks to all his brethren. While, while Paul was called to the Gentiles, James was called to the Jews and Peter <clears throat> and to all of these brothers in Israel whose fathers had been for centuries dispersed among the nations and who through themselves and through them were scattered far and wide. Though the 12 tribes, and I love this about God, though the 12 tribes of Israel are scattered, they're never lost never lost. God never loses his own. Jesus tells us in John, my sheep, that's what's so amazing about the Jews, quite frankly. But anyway, my sheep, listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one, no one can snatch them out of my hand. My father, it has nothing to do about us. We can't hold on tight enough. We are in his grip. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one, he says in John 10, 27 through 30. Well, the 12 tribes of Israel are mentioned in Revelation two times. Well, for, for sure, and probably maybe more than that. But anyway, um, and again listed in the close biblical history of, in Revelation. Judah, Reuben, Simeon. I was going to try to memorize. I had memorized them one time, but I had to do it in a different order that these people did it but anyway they're mentioned in revelation 7 5 through 8 and 21 12 he says the angel says then i heard to uh to john then i heard the number of those who were sealed this is in revelations there were 144,000 from all the tribes of israel these were sealed they were coming in from the tribe of judah 12,000 from the tribe of reuben 12 gad 12 Asher, 12,000, Naphtali, 12,000, Manasseh, 12,000, Simeon, 12,000, Levi, 12,000. Anyway, he goes through and he mentions every single one of them, 12,000 from each of these tribes. I have not forgotten them. It's like when Elijah was saying, I'm the only one left. No, Elijah, you're not the only one left. You just don't know about it. Now we see, but a poor reflection is in a the mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now we know in part, then we shall fully know fully, be known fully, as even as we are fully known. We don't know it all, and we will not know it all. So don't think you know it all, and you cannot put him in a box. In Revelation twenty-one twelve, it said it had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels of the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. Bless you. No, indeed, thankfully, God never forgets his own. The prophet Isaiah pens what God speaks. Can a mother forget her baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she gave birth to? Though she may forget, I won't forget you. I'll never forget you. See, I've engraved you on the palm of my hand. Your walls are ever before me. In order to attain Christian maturity and holy conduct, it is essential for us to have a firm foundation 
in God's word, as well as a resolute, made-up mindset, like we talked before, not a vacillation of, oh, I'm going to do this, no, I'm not, blah, 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 because if you do that, you're never going to go that way. You have to have a firm resolution mindset, like Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem on his way to the cross. He was resolute. You, that you want to stand firm in God's will, mature and fully assured, as, Colos- as Epaphras says to the church at Colossae. You want to stand firm. You want your children to stand firm because the safest place in the world for you to be is in the center of God's will, mature and fully assured. Um, he dare not be pushed down. Uh, the, the Christian must have the, the God's word and the made-up mindset. The believer must be able to stand with confidence, not in himself, but in the all-powerful strength of the indwelling Holy Spirit. He dare not be pushed down by trials or lulled by temptations. Trials from without and temptations from within are no match for a Christian who stands in the word of truth by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's no match for it. You are stronger than Satan with Christ in you and the power of him. But you yourself are not. (laughs) Trust me. Blessed is the man, someone said, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, but his leaves does not wither. Whatever he does, prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Paul also tells us, So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word or mouth or by letter. Stand firm and hold on to these. These are truths. These are what you base your faith on, your, your works on, your everything on. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope. Encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. I'm just telling you this, not even telling you what, this is what the scripture is saying, but I, I've lived this too. And I know it to be true. It's like I'm not doing this just because I'm, I'm, think I'm, you know, whatever for any other reason. But I know it's true, and I know it helps, and I know it works. Not it works. It's just, works is just such a word. Real, it's a blessing. It's, it's a blessing, and it is such a disaster when it's missed. It's a wasted life. And no one I know wants to waste their life. Not a person. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man but God is faithful and he will not he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear but when you are tempted he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it like I've told y'all before when my kids were little I just prayed that God would show them the door of escape and if they saw it and they didn't go through it to pull them by the hair through it I didn't really care how they got through it I wanted them through it and he will stand, the Lord says, because he is faithful and able to make them stand. Next, in verses 2 through 4, James not only gives us an admonition to patience and perseverance in adversity, <clears throat> but he also calls us further still to joy. It's not like, okay, I'm going to grip my teeth and get through this. But he's saying he wants us to go further still to joy. Count it all joy. 
This links very intimately with what Paul writes in Romans 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. I love the stand. We don't cower, we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us. Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. Our trials should be faced with an attitude of joy. Boy, it's convicting, isn't it? They should not, and, and if, we, if we just kind of go back to the Jonah <clears throat> and his response to being used so greatly and the whining and the complaining and the just anger that he had because he wasn't happy with what he wanted. He missed God's best. Not that he wasn't saved, but that he missed what the abundant life now is available to each one of us as well as in heaven. God came. He says, I came to give you life and give it to the full. Don't be all wrapped again in all these things that are going to take you down like the Titanic. They should be seen, um, they should not be seen as a punishment, a curse, or a calamity, but something that must prompt rejoicing. Furthermore, they should produce pure joy. Quite literally, the word means all joy, that is, full or unmixed, not just some joy, coupled with much grief. Though James' command was direct and forceful, he did not preach at his audience. He identified with them. He addressed them warmly as my brothers. This mode of address is characteristic of the epistle. He used this familiar form no less than 15 times. James' direct commands are coupled with deep compassion. He wasn't like tritely saying, put on your big girl britches and deal with it. (coughs) That's not what he's talking about. Nor is he saying it doesn't hurt. The pain is pain. It hurts. It's also important to know that James did not say that a believer should be joyous for the trial, but in the trial. Not for it. It's not a good thing that a bazillion things are happening in everybody's life. I can say that are not good. But what it is doing in your life is for good. Our joy comes not in our tribulations and trials themselves. Rather, it is what the tribulations and trials are producing and bringing about in us and those that are around us as they see this. It is a deep trust in the Lord and his handling of our lives. You know, know, because we want to take it back. We want to take the reins back. Who's on the throne of your life? You know, most of the time, oh, the Lord is. Well, then I start going, take it back, take the control back. But it's a deep trust that He knows best, and sometimes that's hard to to take. Like, well, I could think I could write it out better than that. He's going, no, I don't think you can. You know, <clears throat> He knows what is best for us, as well as a strong confidence in Him that all things allowed are for our ultimate good. And his glory, never one surpassing the other. Our ultimate good in his glory. Trials develop in us a perseverance and character, making us mature and complete, not lacking anything. Do any of y'all feel like you're lacking anything? 
Do you have it where you feel you're full and complete, not lacking anything? No longer shallow howls, rather deep, rich, and full of joy and hope, overflowing with something of value to give to others. And that, of course, is Jesus. Furthermore, our tribulations and trials are what God uses to conform us into the image of his son. That is his M.O. That is what he's about. Therefore, they are always working for our good. He wants us to be like the Savior. Never for our destruction. It is sin. It is sin. Listen to this, y'all. It is sin that causes death and destruction. It is always sin that causes death and destruction. Jesus came to give life and give it to it to the full. Give it to it to us us to it to the full. Peter tells us, but if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. (laughs) When he suffered, he made no threats. What did he do then? Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. We, of course, have the promise of Romans 8, 28 and 29 as well, which Paul states, God is working all things for our good, conforming us into the image of his son. Those predestined, calls, justifies, and glorifies. He predestines, calls, justifies, and glorifies. And we know, he says, that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He does it all. He does it all. Christians can face trials with joy because they are rich advantages from these testings, which are clearly only received through them. <clears throat> that is the truth. When things are, when things are going s- swimmingly smooth, so are we. <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh, I mean, they don't give anything. But then one thing happens, it's like, wah, 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 Lord, where are you? What have you done? What, why is this happening? Why is this going on like this? You know, I just, I remember, I mean, my, my favorite line, I guess, I, you know, I've got many, I guess, in Job, but one of them, when his friends had come and did the right thing by just sitting and crying with him and not saying a word, it said <clears throat> they couldn't speak because they saw how great his suffering was. They saw how great. And sometimes in life, don't you just feel how great your suffering is? It's like, I can't take another breath, Lord. I can't lift my head up, Lord. Yes, I know Beth. You know, I think one of the things that has been such a blessing in my life is just pouring out before him. Just pouring out. He knows what's in your heart anyway. There's no, I mean, it's no feigned relationship. It's like, I, I hate this, Lord. I can't do this, you know. I can't. I can't do so and so or whatever. And and then he taught me, no, but you can do it for me. So I look in people's face and I don't see that person. I see him. 
It's that I, I do it for him. I live for him. It makes a lot of difference sometimes when you're in situations that have been really, really hurtful or hard. And that's why we need to go to him first. I'm just pretty Amen. Sure Amen. Going to our Amen. 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 And so many times, too, when you, when you say things like that to people, mainly you're trying to find somebody on your side to, 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 to you know, I know I am. Like, oh, you're okay. You didn't, you know, you, you, you don't deserve that. You know, all of that kind of stuff. It's like, Lord, and when he's trying to show something in your heart, it's not a pretty sight or what he's trying to maybe take out. And besides that, what do you leave in the ears of those you've told it to? Does it lift them up? Does it edify? Does it bring them up? Does it make the person you're talking about or who, whatever the situation you're talking about, you know, worse? You know, because you're trying to get them to, you know, say, oh, you're so not bad as you think you are or whatever. You know, it's anyway, but yes. Yes, yes. Always go to him first. Always. And I had a and I have a place where you can go, even if it's in your car. Where you you know what I'm saying? Beth Moore used to say she'd go to her car and turn you know, lock it. <laughs> and no matter how many people were banging on the door, she wouldn't come to it. <laughs> well, you know, but there are all kinds of places. I mean, I don't even know how that how people in China do it. When they have, you know, four generations living under one roof, where do they go to breathe? I mean, you know, they just, I guess, you get out, they find a tree. You find something, you know, just to be alone with the Lord. And that's huge. And it's hard. Sometimes I have to be still. And, I, and then I, things come in my mind, like, you know, Target run, grocery day, you know, all that kind of stuff. You know, they get, you know, like, like what time is it? What, you know. And put him first, too. And, he, and it's, it's amazing how he fills you, isn't it? It's amazing. It's amazing what he does in those times. Uh, this is a little poem, which I think is kind of cool. It's talking about a piece of gold. It says, Out from the mind of the darkness, mine, M-I-N-E, and darkness, out from the damp and the mold, out from the fiery furnace cometh each grain of gold crushed into atoms and leveled down to the humblest dust with never a heart to pity, with never a hand to trust. Molten and hammered and beaten, seemeth it ne'er to be done. Oh, for such a fiery trial, what hath that poor gold done? Oh, twere mercy to leave it down in the damp and the mold. If this is the glory of living, then better to be dross than gold? Under the press and the roller, into the jaws of the mint, stamped with the emblem of freedom, with never a flaw or a dent. Oh, what a joy, the refining out of the damp and the mold, and stamped with a glorious image. Oh, what a beautiful coin of gold. That's what he's doing to each one of us. He's getting us out of that damp, moldy place of sin and destruction. And he's making us into a beautiful gold coin for his glory. You can't do it. He never said you could do it. But he can do it. He always said he would and wants to. Without this approved standard of faith, trials would not yield perseverance. There would be only ashes. It would be burned up. True faith, like pure gold, endures. True faith endures. No matter how hot the fire, 
like we talked about before, when everybody was turning from Jesus, and, and the, like Jane said, she thought it was the saddest, it is some of the saddest words in the Bible. He turns to Peter and says, are you going to leave me too? Is everybody going? You know, you just feel that, huh, you're going to leave me too. And Peter says, well, where would we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. Where would we go? No matter how hard the fire, you stay with it. The true faith, therefore, develops, or more literally, works perseverance or staying power. Perseverance is only the beginning of the benefits. See, we can't just do it just to, to be, you know, it's kind of like dieting. You say, oh, I'm not going to have another cookie in my whole life. Well, that's big, I mean, how are you going to know? You know what I'm saying? Or I'm never going to have another peanut m M&M. <clears throat> Or I'm going to run three miles every single day. <laughs> or, you know what I mean? It's like all these ridiculous things that, uh, that last maybe two seconds, you know. What it, you, and you know that there's advantage to all this. But perseverance is only the beginning of the benefits that this comes. There are more advantages to trials. Perseverance must finish its work. Just as tested and true faith works to produce perseverance, so perseverance must be allowed to continue its perfect or finished work to produce the ultimate byproducts of maturity and spiritual fulfillment. This, of course, is the lofty goal that serves as the epistle's unifying theme. James' main point was to show how to achieve spiritual maturity. Two words describe the goal, mature and complete. Mature and complete. Doesn't it just sound so wonderful to be mature and complete? Trials are therefore no evidence of God's displeasure. God disciplines those he loves to bless you in Hebrews 12, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're illegitimate children and not true sons. Um, trials are therefore no evidence of his displeasure when, he, when, when his people are called upon to pass through great trials and temptations. Just ask blameless Job. If someone professes to have faith in the Lord, he can depend upon it that that profession will be put to test sooner or later. You can just count on it because your faith must be proven. All too often, we so frequently lose courage and become despondent in the hour of temptation or trial instead of realizing that it is the very time when we should look up into the Father's face with great confidence, knowing that he is working out some purpose in us that could not be wrought out in any other way. It could not be done in any other way. He doesn't do it, though. Try to figure out the hardest way to do it. He does it the easiest way to bring about the results he desires. His no's are always for our greater yes. Always for our greater yes. Do not think when we are suffering in the fiery furnace that he does not care. Do not think that he sits lofty in the heavenlies, paying us no mind. Our master knows the intensity of the heat and the exact longevity of all our trials and tribulations designed to bring about his divine purposes of unmingled good and blessedness for every era of mercy. Our Savior suffered with a magnitude we know nothing of so that heaven's doors would be open to us. If on our way to our true home we undergo the arrows of Satan's quiver, take heart, my friend, and do not lose your hope or joy. What does unmingled love mean? Excuse me. Nothing that's 
in there. Nothing that's d dross in there. Okay. Pure. Pure. Just pure. Many have traversed the same path and received the warmest of welcomes home. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy, joy comes in the morning. And that's the truth. It's like you think, I'll never sing again. I'll never, I'll never smile again. And then, whammo. <laughs> Trials can be faced with joy because infused with faith, perseverance results. And if perseverance goes full term, it will develop a thoroughly mature Christian who lacks nothing. Y'all, we s sadly see so few of that anymore. Sadly. Our churches, we're, all, we're so weak. Americans are so weak. And I, I, and, and I think a lot of it is ignorance to, to God's word. It's ignorance to the truth. And things have been easy. <laughs> things have been swimmingly easy here. And so we don't call them in China where it's growing like leaps and bounds and they're, you know, persecuted and killed for following Christ. And, I mean, it's just on and on and on and it's growing and growing. It's like the church usually grows in persecution, which is pretty amazing. You get so fat and sassy and we just kind of sit and soak and sour and we don't feel like we're called upon to do anything. He will indeed be all God wants him to be. James' argument may seem logical, but it is still difficult to see how trials can be welcomed with an attitude of joy because <clears throat> it's just not human nature. It's so unearthly in its, in its reaction. And I mean, you know, it just is. And we are called to count it all joy when we fall into trials. Where does one turn for help to understand this difficult paradox? Paul tells us that tribulation worketh patience, and James affirms the same. By nature, we are inclined to be fretful and impatient. We want what we want when we want it. We don't want to wait a minute longer. Even Christians sometimes rebel against the ways of God when things go contrary to their own desires. We find ourselves fighting against God's best for our lives, and we don't want that. We don't want that. I mean, it's like you say, okay, Beth, you want to do your will or God's will? Your will or God's will? I'm like, oh, I'm going to do God's will. He made me and created me and knows my inmost being and knows what's best for me and loves me with an everlasting love and died for me. I'm going to choose my will over his will when I'm ignorant and unlearned and don't know anything. But then I think, I want to just I keep fighting. I'm fighting against his best. It's like Paul, quick, when he told Paul, quit kicking against the goads, Paul. What I'm telling you is good. This is maybe not what you thought, but this is the way it is. This is the way it is. We find ourselves fighting against it. But he who learns to be submissive to whatever God permits glorifies God. And isn't that hard? Be submissive to whatever. Because I'm like... I'm sure most of y'all, I have, I have a plan, a schedule. I have a, okay, this is what I'm doing today. It is annoying when that doesn't work out. It's like, well, have then I think, I'm, I'm always thinking, because I never consider that I'm 100 years old, that I'll just stay up later and do it. You know, I'll just do it a little later. I'll get it all done. I'll get, you know, I'll like, you know, it's like, this, it's getting where that's harder and harder to, to do. But, I mean, when somebody comes in and, like, you have this plan and they say, okay, let's, let's see, or you get, you're on a roll and they, you, get, they get, you get distracted or whatever it is. Every, every one of those things, how are you going to respond to those situations? That's how you bring Christ to your spheres. 
quite frankly. I said, like, can you help me? I, I've, I've lost my watch or my child or um, I mean, I, my tire is flat or, you know, you're, you know, somebody, and you know, it's to a total stranger, okay, or whatever. I don't know what this situation is. How do you respond to every person that's in your sphere? Do you bring the room of Christ? And that's what it's about. I mean, but when we're antsy and, you know, and, and focused and like, don't make eye contact. Don't make eye contact. <laughs> you know, it's about loving people, loving God, and loving people. But that's what it is. I mean, it's like, go straight, go straight. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Because you think, okay, if I do this and that, you know, but like God sees all of this. And it's like, okay, Lord, how am I supposed to respond in this situation? You know, that should be our undercurrent prayer. How do, how do you want me to respond to this? Anyway, um, but he learns to be submissive to whatever God permits, glorifies God who orders all things according to the counsel of his own will. And I means orders all things. All these little interruptions, all these things are ordered. How are you going to respond to that? You know, I get distracted. I mean, it's always time, like, pulling me away from the Lord or pulling me away. Whatever. We are ultimately the losers when we don't readily embrace what he allows in our lives. And we rob ourselves of the higher good which God intended for us to have. We simply don't want to go there. It does us well to remember that we too all, that all too often our trials prompt us to groan and complain. Ugh. And he says in Philippians, do everything without complaining or arguing. Don't groan. What does it do? Don't be fretful and impatient. You know, don't worry, don't whine, blah, 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 all the things that are so human nature and that come so easily to me. Um, that, that's usually the first response, like, I could have done without that, Lord. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, I got to, yes, exactly. <laughs> no, okay, whatever. Instead, you know, it's, and it can be this, you know, it, the older I get, I see that it can be just the most ridiculous things. I mean, like, like, um, now we're parking outside so something got clogged up i don't know what in my on my windshield we made all this water go to my back seat which ended up costing about about what the cars make to get it uh, the whole it's all water all the back of my car was just all water and it's like okay lord but then there's this man that works at at this place where i take it this minute that you missed all these doors open when you are on these kind of things. Does, am I making any sense at all? That would normally not be in your sphere. How do you respond to this? You know, it's easy to be with your friends. It's easy to be with people that know the Lord. It's easy. And we get so in our holy huddles, and then we don't realize when we go out, there's all these needy people that don't know the Lord. And you may be their hope. <laughs> as pitiful as I am. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, it, it, it makes you think bigger than your own little world. Did I get the bed made? Did I unload the dishwasher? Did I go to, tar- you know, whatever. You know what I mean? We get so consumed in this. Check, 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 check. I've done that. Okay, good day, you know. And oftentimes, it is just a smile. But you know, it's Yeah, you, I know. You need to go outside and there's somebody that's so much worse off than you. Amen. Just start walking down the street. Amen. <laughs> I mean, and I can tell you, every single person in this world has some kind of troubles. Absolutely. I mean, they just do. We live in a broken, fallen world. 
And when we were really so isolated and by ourselves and living in our little bubbles, you know, we can think, oh, everybody else has it so much better. They're not having this hardship. They're not having this whatever that I'm going through. <clears throat> Sometimes, I mean, it's it all the time. It's good. It's, you know, it's good just to be out. Love him and love others. Love God and love others. Um, Let your kids see you doing that. Amen. You know, like, if you take five extra seconds to talk to the people who work at Little Caesars and ask them about their life, you know, your kids see that. If you're praying for them, your kids are seeing that, and you're emulating how God wants you to show love. Exactly. Forever, I thought that my mission field was Cracker Barrel waitresses. Because we all the time. I'm not joking. I get Christmas cards. I get anniversary. I'm not joking. Uh, <laughs> and this was in Chattanooga. Oh, oh, Cracker Barrel. Yeah. And I mean, you know, everywhere you've lived. Well, we 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 eat out. Like you know, not fancy. We eat out all the time because I'm you know, I don't know why, but that's what we've always done. So there you go. <laughs> well, I mean, you get. I mean, I like. You know, you, I mean, you start hearing these stories. I'll tell you what's Cracker Barrel story. This one girl, I mean, this is amazing. She has nothing. Her husband left her. She's got three daughters. She has nothing. She works at Cracker Barrel as a waitress. What does she have that she can afford to give money to somebody at Dollar General to buy their groceries? But God urged her to, she's a Christian, we, you know, and yeah. so God urged her to buy these groceries. And and she goes, Lord, I mean, I have just 20 bucks, you know, whatever. He says, just do it, you know. So she does. She pays for this lady's groceries. And she doesn't even get what she came in there for. And then about uh, two days later, she comes home, and her whole front porch is covered with food. Because you cannot give out, out give God. But, y'all, this, they're ministering to me. They're ministering to me. Because she's living by faith a lot more than me. I mean, you know, it's crazy. But it's just story after story after story. Like, I mean, I tell you, I mean, because we've lived in little towns. And there's just lots of stories. But that, but, but it just like, wow, Lord. And that reminded me of the, I don't know if y'all have seen Little Women yet. And it probably most people didn't like the way it was shown because it was a whole flashback thing. But I cried in so much of it, but one, one of the scenes was they, I hate people that tell stories about movies, but anyway, this is just a small one. But it won't give away anything. But she, but she, the mother of these little, of the little girl, the women, <clears throat> um, was such a saint. And her husband was at war. And so she takes care of this woman who has no husband and baby's dying and there's all these kids, no food, nothing. And it's Christmas morning and they're all, the girls, the little women are so excited about getting their, their, their breakfast or whatever. And she goes, she came home and she said, now girls, you know, I just, so-and-so doesn't have any food and, they, and they're cold. And, and so can, would y'all give your Christmas to, breakfast to them? And they just kind of looked around, and then they all packed up their stuff. And it was, you know, it looked like these muffins, and it was a lot, a lot, a lot, but it was, it was things. And they took it to this house. And when they came home, the rich next door neighbor had seen them go and take that, and he had provided this banquet for them when they got home. And I thought, that is so you, Lord. That's what you do. You cannot outgive him. You can't outgive him. I mean, it, it turned. It's, it's not like a sacrifice. It becomes just a what do you want me to do next kind of thing instead of like do I have to I mean like with Jonah I look at that and all those people were saved and yet he was so mad 
because that vine had died and he was hot and thirsty. I fall back into that a lot. Like, wham, 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 my needs aren't met. Like, get over your silly self, girl. Anyway, I'm on the, I don't know where I'm going next. Um, whining and complaining don't contribute to Christian maturity and do not bring about what God desires. They are inappropriate, inappropriate for the child of the king. The nattering demonstrates that we do not believe God has our best interest at heart, and believe me, it only makes matters worse. One who brings the right attitude to the trial, who understands the advantage of the trial, and who knows where to obtain assistance in the trial, will certainly end up with the shining favor of God. I mean, where where are you the closest? You're at God's side whenever you're going through a child is sick, a a financial setback, whatever it is. There's just so many you can't even name them. What what were you saying about assistance? Uh, You know, him. Go straight to him. Go to him. And sometimes I was like, Lord, I cannot, I'm not, I can't. You got to keep pouring in till I can lift my head. You know, just keep, just stay there. And he does. He he quiets your soul and he fills you. He says in Hebrews, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses of all the Hebrews 11, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Not you run mine or me run yours or you run hers or whatever. The race marked out for us. So there is a race. There is a plan. There is a purpose for your very life. And you want to find it. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. It's like you were saying, run to him first in the morning. Run to him. The author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, the joy set before him, hear that little word joy? We're supposed to count it all joy? The joy set before him endured the cross. Why did he have that joy to endure? How did he have that joy to endure? That joy was what he was going, that cross was bringing about, bringing many men to glory. That was the joy. He set his focus on that, what this trial was bringing about. That's what we need to do. What is this trial bringing about? And you trust it to the bottom of your core that is bringing about good for you and your family and every single person that it involves in, even though it seems devastatingly horrible and bad, just like that instincts my soul. How many people, how many people have gotten blessed from, 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 it is well with my soul. How many people? Do you think that was born out of, oh, daisies in the land? No. It was born out of pain. It was born out of pain. Um, one who brings the right, right attitude to the trial, who understands the advantage of the trial, and who knows where to obtain assistance from Jesus in the trial, will certainly end up with the shining favor of God. As Hebrews says, he says, and consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet, shed, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you've forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. You are a child of the king. You're a child of the king. He who learns to be submissive to whatever God permits glorifies God who orders all things according to the counsel of his own will. God is not one drop happenstance or chance. Not a drop. It's a, it, he, he makes known the end from the beginning from ancient times which yet to come, he says, my purpose will stand. I will do all that I please. And he says in Malachi, I, the Lord, 
do not change. I don't change. King David had the right approach when he faced with circumstances beyond his ability to endure, just like Paul had, just like some, we have, and God quieted his soul as one does a child. This is a patient, patience exemplified in David. David says, you turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy that my heart may sing to you and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever. David was always not perfect, but always quick to run to the throne. Always quick to run to the throne. And just like you were saying, first, what can man do? What can man do? The order in trials is first turn to God in prayer. Bring your complaint before him in all honesty of heart. He can take your hurt. He knows it hurts. He knows you. He made you. Pray boldly, claiming his promises. Finally, choose to trust his will. Nevertheless, Lord, that's what Jesus did. This is exactly the, the strategy he did in Gethsemane. You know, he's sweating drops of blood. His was harder than anything we'll ever walk through. I mean, on steroids. You know, it's like, if it's possible, he says. And he knew. He knew. He knew it was. He knew. But if it's possible, Lord, God, if it's possible, take it away. Take this cup away, the cup of redemption. But nevertheless, not what I'm saying in this flesh part, this weakness. Nevertheless, your will be done. Choose to trust his will for your life. Choose to. And y'all, sometimes we don't see. We don't see what happens. He's, he's not, we're not guaranteed the sight of, of the good. You know, we're not guaranteed that. He doesn't say, look for my good? No, we're not guaranteed what we have done. Through, he's done through us. We'll see the results. You know what I'm saying? Like some people don't see the results. Like I guarantee you, Horatio Spafford didn't see the results of his song. That's what I'm. That's what I'm saying. The eventual results that would come out of it. I mean, Jonah was able to, and he did still complain. <laughs> but, but, but exactly. But, but oftentimes we are not. We don't see the benefit that has that has occurred from what has gone down, transpired by our obedience or whatever. And I think that is because, praise the Lord, he knows how prone to pride we are. He just knows how prone to pride we are. He can use a rock. He can use a donkey, and he has. He doesn't need us to do his will. He doesn't need it. But I think he does show it to us when he knows we need it. Yes, he does. He encourages his saints. But I'm just saying, you know, a lot of sometimes you don't... Exactly. Right. Okay. Um, God is God, Elizabeth Elliot says. Because he is God, he is worthy of my trust and obedience. I will find rest nowhere but in his holy will, a will that is unspeakably beyond my largest notions of what he is up to. Elizabeth Elliot, y'all probably know, was Jim Elliot's wife, that was her first husband, and he was um, there were four uh, missionary, young missionary families that went down to these tribes, I don't know, Indians or whatever, and all four of the men were killed. And all these women had little babies. And um, she, 
I mean, she's now dead. This has happened a long time ago. So subsequently, out of that tragedy, she went back down there to minister to those Indians too. And I think I can't remember the story, so I'll mess it up. But it it was it was pretty amazing. But anyway, it's not like she had a, a pain-free life. I guess that's what I'm trying to, to tell you. So to me, I listen to people that have walked through. You know, I give more credence in, in my hearing to people that have actually walked the path rather than just espouse what they think they know to be true or whatever. Like sometimes you want proof in, in the walk. But anyway, the difference is, she says, Christ in me not me in a different set of circumstances. That's hard. The difference is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. And then to will <coughs> what God wills brings peace to the soul. You know, this, this constant friction or fighting. Do your best to empty yourself every day. <laughs> you know, it's like pour out your life like a drink offering and like, okay, Lord, I want what you want. To those who feel confused and frustrated by the high goal of not lacking anything through trials and tribulations, James wrote, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God. Assistance is readily available from our giving God. To those who lack wisdom, this incredibly valuable resource is available for the asking. James assumed his readers would feel the deep need for wisdom, not just knowledge. God will not only provide wisdom, but will do so generously and not grudgingly. Spurgeon writes in morning and evening. He takes it from Numbers 11 11. Why have you brought this trouble on your servant? Our Heavenly Father sends us frequent troubles to test our faith. <clears throat> if our faith is worth anything, it will stand the test. Guilt is afraid of fire. <laughs> I love that. Guilt is, gold is not. Guilt is afraid of fire. The paste gem is afraid of fire. A fake faith is afraid of fire. Gold is not. The paste gem dreads to be touched by the diamond, but the true jewel fears no test. It is a poor faith which can only trust God when friends are true, body full of health, and the business profitable. But that is true faith which holds by the Lord's faithfulness when friends are gone, when the body is sick, and the spirits are depressed, and the light of our Father's countenance is hidden. I'm thinking about Johnny Erickson. She talks about how she can retain, regain joy each day. How did she say it? It was like she sinks to the Lord so, so that when she, her husband leaves and she has an hour where she can't do a thing, she can't move, before the lady comes to dress her and, and do everything for her that we take so for granted. <coughs> but she prays, uses that hour to pray and get her heart right in her songs and sings to herself so that when she... She, the helper comes in, she has this smile of Jesus. And, she, and, the, and the helper asks her one day, how can you be so happy? She goes, that's not me. That's just Jesus in me, smiling. And it's real. And it's real. It's not fake. It's real. It's real. Exactly. A faith which can say in the direst trouble, though he slay me, yet I will hope in him, that was Job, is heaven born. The Lord afflicts his servants to glorify himself, but never one surpassing the other of our good in his glory. For he is greatly glorified in the graces of his people, which are his handiwork, 
When tribulation works patience and patience experience and experience hope, the Lord is honored by these growing virtues. We would never know how the music of the harp sounds if the strings were left untouched, nor enjoy the juice of the grapes if it weren't trampled by the wine press, nor discover the sweet perfume of cinnamon if it weren't pressed and beaten, nor feel the warmth of fire if the coals were not utterly consumed. The wisdom and power of the great workman, capital W, are discovered by the trials through which his vessels of mercy are permitted to pass. Present afflictions tend also to heighten future joy. There must be shades in the picture to bring out the beauty of the lights. Could we be so supremely blessed in heaven if we hadn't known the curse of sin and the sorrow of earth? Won't peace be sweeter after conflict and rest more welcome after toil? Won't the recollection of past sufferings enhance the bliss of the glorified? There are many other comfortable answers to the question with which we opened our brief meditation. Why have you brought this trouble on your servant? Let's think about that all day long. Why, Lord, why am I in this situation? What do you want? How am I supposed to behave? Will Earnestly seek what he wants from you. Earnestly seek it. He says, as we grow in this grace of patience until there's no longer any rebellion against the will of God, a strong Christian character is developed. I don't know of any other way that he develops character. We become mature and whole, no longer craving for what God sees fit to withhold. This is true victory. To achieve it requires godly wisdom that God is waiting to bestow in answer to your prayers. This brings a settled peace that passes all human understanding. That's why people can hold it together, it seems like, when all the world... I remember this way. I don't know if y'all have ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs, but, I mean, I got maybe (laughs) ten pages in it. I mean, it's just so overwhelmingly hard. And this is 100 years ago, but I remember this one story, and I will never forget it. This woman would not quit talking about the Lord. And they kept saying, you're going to burn in the fire, you're going to burn in the fire. She had two little babies, and she would not quit talking about the Lord. And they screwed her mouth together. I mean, people, it is the most inhumane thing what people have done in the past in the world. I mean, and she had these screws together. And she had these two little boys, and they're sitting there, and they, they, they watch as her mama is, their mama is being burned to the stake because she wouldn't quit talking about Jesus. And after she was burned up, they went and they raked through the coals to find the screws. It was like, I mean, literally, this has been 25 years ago, or no, 40 years ago. I can't remember how long it's been since I read that. But it was such a picture in my mind. I thought, Lord, how brave. I could do that. I couldn't do that. But we don't have, we don't have the grace to meet a need we don't have now. And a lot of times we worry about things like, I couldn't do that. You're given the grace sufficient to meet the need when you need it. God is not a grace waster. He doesn't bestow, okay, all this grace and is not you. You know what I'm saying? But if you are called, you are given that grace sufficient to meet that need. You can be assured of that, that you won't flee. Or I mean, like all these people that you see, and I think, you know, Lord, how could I? It's a, it's, it's, it doesn't take away the pain. 
or the or the hurt but it causes you to be able to stand stand this brings us in it in it it brings a settled peace that passes all understanding what comes out of it it is the beauty from the ash and that's what he's all about doing taking our ashes and making beauty he says peace i leave with you my peace i give you given to you i do not give as the world gives my peace is not like the world do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid james also tells us i love i mean you know what y'all what saved my scrawny neck so much is scripture memory and and so many things you know memorize things that shows you the power of god memorize things that shows you the love of god you know, it comes back, Lord, you said, Lord, you said, Lord, you said, Prom- claim his promises in Scripture. He loves that. Lord, you have said, Lord, you have said, Lord, you have said, show me what this is. How does the flesh out? James also tells us that we lack, that we lack uh, wisdom. We need only to ask in faith, believing that God will give it liberally to all those who ask, believing and not wavering. A double-minded man is never sure of anything. He's unstable, meaning he has no constancy of purpose, vacillating in his beliefs, and not f- firmly rooted or anchored and unsteady. <clears throat> we don't want to go there. Changeableness is an evidence of an unsubdued will, and generally, too, of an inflated ego, which leads us, one, to be preoccupied unduly with the importance of his own affairs. I mean, that's, that's how we get in our world today. It's undue importance of our own affairs. We all lack wisdom. We all see so unclearly. The, those with humility fully realize this lack. They don't think they know it all. They don't think they have all the answers. Knowing our need is the first step toward receiving that which will meet our need. Lowliness of mind is truly becoming in those who profess to follow him who said, I am gentle and humble in heart. If he gives promotion, one can rejoice in his goodness, recognizing it all as pure grace. But if he permits conditions to change so that he who is well-to-do finds himself in comparative poverty, let him accept all from his hand who makes no mistakes. Man, after all, is but grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. You who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and his arm rules for him. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hands? Or with the breadth of his hands marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or, the hill, or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in the balance? Who has understood the mind of the Lord or instructed him as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they are fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him, 
before him. I just don't know why I'm saying all this. All the nations are as nothing. They're regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. To whom then we compare God? What image will you compare him to? As for an idol, a craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A man too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. He looks for a skilled craftsman that will to make him an idol that will not topple. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princesses to naught. He reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground. Then he blows on them and they wither in the world and sweeps them away like chaff. To whom then will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls him each by name because of his great power and mighty strength. Not one of them is missing. Why do you say, O Israel, and complain, O Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will walk and not grow weary. They will run and not be faint. Oh, he who has ears, let him hear that truth. It is so true. He is above all, above, beyond all, everything. He is so far above what we can imagine. And he loves us with an everlasting love. Go figure that. Father, um, I don't know where I am in this lesson, but I'm over. <laughs> so I ask that you guard us and guide us and help us to know your love for us, your power Lord, that we don't serve a, a, a God that's just a, in name only, Lord. Your power and your, and your love and your, and your faithfulness and all the things that you just so readily want to build in us. But, Lord, these are hard to build, I know, because you fight against our resistance of our flesh. So I pray, Father, that you would help us to embrace what you allow with joy, that you would strengthen us with all power according to your glorious might, that you, O Lord, through your power, would give us great endurance and patience, and that we would stand firm in all your will, mature and fully assured, that we would be the aroma of Jesus to every encounter we have this week. Father, I love you. I, I love you, and I thank you, and I ask that you would just be glorified in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that could surely take away any of my excuses to do his will. <laughs> 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 You're <laughs>